Canucks Central Monday. It's Dan Riccio and Satyar Shaw in the Kintec studio as we kick off another week of Canucks coverage here on Canucks Central. A couple of games coming up. Uh, closing out a homestand tomorrow against the Dallas Stars off to Arizona and California later this week for Vancouver. But they uh, continue to get some uh, work done. I guess you could say, Sat. Yeah, getting business done. Building out the depth, you know, adding to the prospect pool. Uh, Aiden McDonough signs a uh, entry-level contract. Uh, We're going to have him on Canuck Central in the next hour, so stay tuned for that. And we'll talk a little bit more about his impact in the prospect pool as it stands right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, Also, uh, I have never received more... I shouldn't say that. I received... More mentions on Twitter yesterday Uh than I have in a long time. Just off of nothing I actually tweeted. Yes. But just based on Phil DiGiuseppe signing a contract with Vancouver Canucks. Yes, he he assigned a two-year extension with the Canucks after a... How many games has he played now this year? (laughs) Is it eight games? Yeah, it's not been a lot. It's 14 games. 14 games this season. Wow, sneaks up on you. Sneaks up on you, doesn't it? Um... It's it's you know came far too late his uh, his addition but uh, you can check his uh, interview out on the People Show not enough uh, discussion about commercial drive and where the best paninos are in the city but uh, maybe another time maybe are you saying time. that you wish you had uh, the I, I mean PDG I, I don't interview? know I'm I'm not going to chirp Josh the producer of the <laughs> I'm program. sorry guys <laughs> I chose McDonough over PDG that was, I mean, that was a mistake no Josh you made the right call to be honest yeah yeah I needed to hear that you no no you did I mean the, the right call I mean. God bless PDG. <laughs> but I'm just saying the right call, the big story, is, is the prospect that the Canucks signed after years of waiting for yes. him to leave Northeastern and not become a free agent and still be a Canuck and, and remain with the th- club that drafted him in the seventh round. All right. So I, th- I think we made the right call. Okay. Agree to disagree. <laughs> <laughs> next time. Next both, time. I'm both sorry. Are, both are really cool. It's all good. Uh, <laughs> all right. So... They got some business done, and all kidding aside, it's uh, it's been a really interesting go for the Canucks. You know, four wins in a row now, and Saturday's, I would say, was arguably the most promising win of the Rick Tockett era. Was that the Mona Lisa of this run? Yeah. Of this new, improved Canucks <laughs> run under Rick it's, Tockett? Yeah, it was Rick Tockett's Mona Lisa. <laughs> oh, let's, let's, do, let's say that. Like, what did they have? Like, 14 shots midway through the third period? Yeah. Ottawa did? They snuffed out the Sens. I mean, the most impressive part was... And you know what? Okay, you know, the most impressive thing was how Vancouver just, you know, snuffed them out, right? Yeah. But man, did Ottawa just, like, acquiesce <laughs> after getting pushed around a little bit in the first period. I believe the correct word in uh, the hockey glossary is turtled. Turtled, yeah. <laughs> they kind of turtled. I mean, not necessarily. I mean, they, they, they tried to push back a little bit. There was obviously some feeling in the game. Yeah. But in terms of intensity and want and belief, I mean, that was that was out in a hurry. And if you want to be a playoff team, yeah. if Ottawa wants to make the postseason, they can't get smacked around by a team like Vancouver and then not have have nothing to give after that. They got bullied by JT Miller. You know, that one shift where he's going around banging everybody, uh, you oh. know. <laughs> what? Um, facts only. Uh, I mean. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> Tim Stutzler would know. Uh, uh, <laughs> I beg your pardon? <laughs> Checking everybody. Yes. 
and uh, then scoring another shorthanded goal. But I, I feel like my frustration is not so much that they are uh, dwindling their opportunities of drafting higher mm. this year or their opportunity of drafting higher is dwindling because of all of these wins. You know, Arizona and, and Anaheim have had pretty good records themselves. Uh, if you want to look at, over the time that uh, oh, yeah. Tockett has been coach of the Vancouver Canucks. And, you know, that those are points that uh, they could have gained on you. Instead, it's been pretty much neutral between the three clubs because Vancouver is going so well right now, whether it be Thatcher Demko, Quinn Hughes on a heater, Andre Kuzmenko, JT Miller playing the best hockey of his uh, season so far. I feel a butt coming here. <laughs> but... <laughs> And, and look, it, it is promising that they are playing this way, and they're playing like a functioning hockey team, defending better. It's not – it's different from Boudreaux because, mm. you know, like Saturday's game was about as comfortable a game I'd seen any iteration of this Canucks core have, right? Most of the games they win, even if they are comfortable, it's like, well, we scored four goals on the power play, or, you know, Demko just absolutely stood on his head, and that's how we ended up winning uh, 2-1 or whatever it may have been. There's more to it mm -hmm. there than we had seen in the past. But the thing I could not help but come back to is that they let it play out with Boudreaux for so long, knowing that he was the wrong guy, going back all the way to the end of last year, knowing he was the wrong guy, essentially daring him to prove them wrong. And they knew that he wouldn't in training camp. <laughs> In training camp, we already heard, and you can go back and listen to our post-game show in Abbotsford about some of the mm -hmm. concerning trends that were happening in training camp of this year. They start with the seven-game winless streak, and we know how the rest of the season played on, and it lasted way too long with Bruce Boudreau. I mean, they knew he wasn't their guy, and they just decided to try and make it work and create a terrible environment. And the thing... the, the one of the quotes that keeps sticking out to me is when they introduced Rick Tockett. And one of the things Patrick Alvin said wasn't so much, you know, he took the blame on himself, which is becoming a trend for Alvin, but he said that it was on him for not creating a better environment for the players. And I'm looking back at that now and wondering how much of that was about just keeping the coach around because it's so obvious how much has changed now that they have alignment with the coaching staff, that they have something that they can believe in and build towards together as a group, rather than you know coming into this season hoping on a prayer that they would carry the momentum of last year? I don't know. I think everything that's happened this season was the best thing to happen to this organization. I think them the best thing I think to so. I think the best thing to happen to this organization was this core getting slapped around to start the season and and having the embarrassment of what the season's been. Because I think it's illuminated things and it's made very clear that you have to move forward in, in some different direction, right? And I know people are saying, well, they're still holding on to this core. They're still trying to build on this core. And, and I think they are, obviously. But I don't think they're also looking at what's happening right now necessarily and being like, oh, we're so happy they're winning games. Like, I, I think that organizationally, right. I, I don't think they're... If I had to... If, if we could give truth serum to the front office, I, I would bet... 
a, a good amount of money. I would bet a good amount of money. If you give if you give truth serum to this front office, they'd they'd be like, yeah, we'd probably prefer losses than wins. Because what front office wouldn't want a better draft pick this year? Yeah. What front office wouldn't? Especially a front office that knows you're not making the postseason. I mean, they they could win twenty in a row, right? Mm, yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, some people are wondering if they can, right? But I think if you look at it. They, I don't think, believe that this team is going to go on a run, right? Yeah. I don't think any of us expected them to win four in a row or, or play like, significantly better. 10-7-2 under Tockett now. Look, I mean, they trade Horvat. Yep. They trade Curtis Lazar. They trade Luke Shen. Yep. Just around the deadline and get rid of all these guys, right? They make a trade for Hironik, who's injured. She's not coming in anytime soon. They've shut down Mikheyev. They have other guys who are injured and aren't coming back anytime soon. They've recalled like the Abbotsford AHL blue line to play for this team. I don't think management's trying to do everything they can to win these games. Like, I don't think they have, right? Mm-hmm. I think what the, the team is just playing a lot better in that sense. So I think organizationally, we'll see ultimately what happens here. But I think they need a high draft pick this year. I think having a chance in the top 10 this season is a good thing. I think it's also a really good thing to understand that you can't have your owner sign a coach to a two-year deal when management was maybe thinking it's a one-year deal. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe some, some illumination at the very top about how things should be done the type of people you really need, the type of coach you need, the type of style you need. I think seeing everything for what it was this year was, I think, a sobering moment for everyone. So I actually think it's a good thing this happened because I think they found the right coach or at least are on the right track with the right coach. I think they were willing to make a trade like the Horvat trade, which they needed to do. They needed to make something bold like that happen and, and make a big forward-thinking move. And if you make this coaching change and everything's rosy, Maybe they look at it and say, maybe we should sign Bo. Maybe we hold on to these guys. Let's run it back with the entire team. I know Jamie Dodd's talking about running it back. This is not running it back. I mean, yeah. they've traded like a bunch of guys already. They're going to trade more guys back. Running it back would be make the coaching change in the offseason. They get off to a hot start. And then you're forced into signing Bo, keeping everybody around, and then you know hoping that this team actually did figure it out. That, definitely not an option for me. All due respect uh, to... Jamie Dodd, who I like very much. Um, I, I hear what you're saying. Essentially, they had to hit rock bottom in order to get the smack of reality in the face. I think to some degree, yes. Now, management was never really sold on it, but it's very clear that ownership liked Boudreaux. I mean, it's the owner who signed Boudreaux. They bought him to a two-year deal before. Signed Boudreaux before Rutherford, yeah. With the option, and Rutherford himself has come out and said, I thought it's going to be a one-year deal, ends up being a two-year deal. The team plays well. They get off to a hot start, right, with Boudreaux. They finish strong. The, the market loves the head coach. The media loves the head coach. The owner looks like a genius for hiring the right coach. Yeah. It's going to be hard to make that argument to him that, yeah, let's get rid of this guy that just had this run with you, the guy you hired. Because we think we got this guy. I think that was a hard sell. I'm not sure they even made that sell or not. It was very clear. Like with the joke I made in the offseason was they're doing everything they can to get Boudreaux to walk away. <laughs> to be like, so he doesn't pick up the option. You know, Rutherford essentially said, like essentially questioning everything that he did yes. before he signed. And he said, yeah, you have the option. Take the option if you want. Yeah. But it wasn't like, hey, please take the option. It's like, I don't like what you're doing. I'm not a fan of your job. I'm not giving you an extension. But if you want, take the option. Yeah, That's kind of like saying, that's almost, that's almost daring somebody to walk away. And the coach essentially said, I'm going to prove them wrong. Yeah, and which is what you expect him to do. Yeah. It wasn't like he had other jobs waiting for him. Right. How many of us would turn down $2.8 million or whatever it was? Or a job coaching in the yeah. National Hockey League in general, especially for a guy who loves coaching. Uh, I hear what you're saying on all that. 
but there is an element to this that it now feels like they've wasted six months. <laughs> yeah, it does feel that way, right? But I also think, you know, to Mike and Willoughby's point, I think this core also needed it. I think the guys you're holding on to, and, you know, as much as they're playing better now, and we're seeing some maturity, and we'll see if they can, you know, translate this to next season here, Dan. But I think there's been some a level of entitlement, too, with, with this group of players we talked about. Like, for a group of players who haven't accomplished anything, there was yeah. a sense of, like, Oh, you know, we need a new coach. We need a new this. No, Won a like, couple of rounds in the bubble playoff. Yeah, like, hey, Great. get it together. You know, yeah. like, why aren't you showing up to camp as prepared? Yeah. We talk about being a self-starter, practice habits. Those are things you control, not the coach. So there are some issues here, obviously, that the players themselves have to confront. And I think the season going the way it did was good for the group as well to understand that, no, you guys can't just show up thinking you played well last year and you got to figure it out. There's so much more you guys got to do to be a good hockey team. It's... um. <sighs> When I think about you know where they are right now and and the nineteen games like we're coming up on that you know what, what do we always say at the start of every season first checkpoint is like twenty twenty five games yeah right and uh, that's where you really get a sense of what you are and I think we're getting a sense under Rick Tockett that this team is going to play a lot more structured you know uh, the, the big thing is how, how often over the last couple of years have we cited the trust aspect. You know, like, how do you trust yeah. in each other on the ice? And we're seeing more of that play out now. So it's just like, were they just flying by the seat of their pants for so long here? Yeah. Like, how how did it get to where it was when the coaching change was made? And we all remember, like, it was not pretty watching this team play hockey. And I think it wasn't just on the coach. And I think this is where there has to be a real a realization that it goes beyond Yeah, it can't always be just on the coach. And I, I wonder... I, we should be clear Yeah, about and that. I think yeah. even if you brought Tockett in, I think there still would have been some hard lessons. I think it would have been hard for him to come in all of a sudden and then realize that these guys maybe didn't have the right mentality throughout mm-hmm. the offseason, and then he's trying to like get them going in training camp, and maybe they would have had a hard transition. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think... I, I think with how this team played and how they played under a few different head coaches and some of the habits they've shown and the identity identity they've shown has been that, no, we're going to figure... Like, we're okay. We got this. No, you don't. Yeah. You know? And, and I think for them to have the failings of this year and then have a coach come in and, and reinforce the basics and then see how much better the team looks with the basics... For the players, I think it was it was a moment of like, oh, yeah, I guess we got to do this because trust matters. You know why trust matters? It's like when you show up to work, you trust that the next person you're relying on is going to be there as well. Yeah, that's trust, right? So if you're playing on on a sheet of ice and you're playing a system or you're playing a style of hockey, if a player isn't where he's supposed to be when you're trying to move the puck, that's going to be a problem. You don't have trust. Yeah. But if the players are where they're supposed to be, you feel like you have the support. Mm-hmm. You feel like you can make plays and put the puck in areas where a guy's going to be, then you're going to feel trust. You're going to have confidence with the puck, right? And these are basic things. You just look at it in, in a very basic human element of things, right? And when you're not doing the basics right, it's 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 honestly preposterous. Yeah. Like, I think it's ridiculous that we're sitting here and talking about a National Hockey League team that didn't know how to make line changes. <laughs> And, and the fact that all of a sudden they're doing the basics right and they look like a, the Harlem Globetrotters yeah. all of a sudden. It's like, are you kidding me? This is why I said I refuse to believe these guys can't play yeah. with structure. You're telling me a National Hockey League player doesn't know where to stand? Yeah. Doesn't know where to skate to? Doesn't know how to make a line change? They're well, NHL players, for goodness sake. Even even some of the things that the, the players are saying, again, it's been uh, big for us to have some rules to live by and things of this nature. I don't know why you needed that to to get playing in the right direction. Now... 
with that in mind, you know, they are doing a lot of work, um, trying to set themselves up for next year to start on the right foot, I think is how you could categorize some of the work that they're doing right now, building out depth. You know, the McDonough signing adds another player to their prospect pool. We'll probably see, we'll definitely, I imagine, see him in some NHL games here. Uh, Brisebois has played well. Good depth to have in your organization. Di Giuseppe has played well. Good depth. Maybe even a, a guy who is on the opening night roster next year. I wouldn't rule that out with the way that he's played on this team. It's, but they're still, like, you can't watch what they're doing right now and expect it to just pick up next year, right? They still need more talent. Mm -hmm. They still need to get better in certain areas. They still need or can upgrade certain elements of this team. And I think that's a prerequisite to, well, if the goal is to get into the playoffs next year, then you need to upgrade X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. I don't think you can go into this summer and say, oh, yeah, well, we can win with a decor of Quinn Hughes, Philip Ronick, OEL, Myers, Bear, and Willannon, or whoever. And honestly, I don't I don't think that. Like, I, I see, I've seen people mention um, that they're going to be fooled by this roster and all these guys and are going to hold on to them. I think the goal is going to be very much the same still. Move a lot of guys out, and you're starting to see at least to your point, some of the guys they like that are part of the depth portion of things, like Guillaume Brisebois, I think they actually look at it and say, you know, if we he might be our seventh defenseman next year. He might be our eighth defenseman next year. And he's yeah. a guy making league minimum salary we developed. He, he's a guy we can look at and show other players that if you work hard over the years, you can get rewarded. You can have a pathway to the National Hockey League. So I think those things are important in there. And I think that's also a factor in terms of their other prospects that they're going to try to bring up. PDG, same thing. He might be their 13 forward next year. Maybe he plays on the fourth line. You pencil in a guy now on a minimum league minimum kind of contract. I think they like the guys that are showing things on, on the lower levels. On the higher levels, I bet you they'd still move Besser if they could. They'd still yep. move Garland if they could. Myers and OEL, obviously guys they're looking to do something with if they can. Well, I think they still have to move one of Besser or Garland oh, in mean, the summer. Yeah, and I think whether that's going to happen or not, yeah. we'll see. But it's certainly a huge part of the agenda, right? Like right now, Vancouver has about $180,000 in cap space mm -hmm. to fill four spots. <laughs> Which so, means, so they have negative cap space. Yes. Now, if you're assuming Pearson and... Um, uh, Pullman start an LTIR that opens up about 5.7 in LTIR space. And if you can capture four or five million of that, you can sign those other guys. Like there's the rest of your money to fill out your roster, but you're not making any significant yeah. additions with that, right? But like, it also raises an issue. Like if you expect Pearson to come back at some point, that's a problem with how you build out your cap. It's it's true. At the same time, if if you're looking at him to perhaps come back, let's say, and I'm just throwing a number out here. It's yeah. completely hypothetical, no idea. Let's say you're assuming he's, he's coming back in January of 2024. Right. By then, what can happen to that point in terms of injuries? I, I think you worry about that later. Right, you know what right. I mean? If you get there with him. But I don't think the, the plan is to live in LTIR. It still is to move guys out. And if you go through the list and, and the agenda the Canucks have, I think very much trying to add two defensemen is a huge part of it. And it maybe it makes it easier for you to make a deal with one of your forwards to get what you're looking for in the back end or get the space you're looking for with how they're playing right now. Yeah. It's like the, the, the benefit of having... You know, the improved structure and the team playing well, even if you prefer the losses, is 
can another team look at your situation and say they're playing normal hockey that could be winning hockey this player having is having success playing in those confines he could work in our system and there isn't a lot of free agents left so i think there's that benefit of mm-hmm. them playing well down the stretch at least in these individuals fitting into a more conducive nhl structure can help out in that regard but very much dan i think the plan is to not be fooled by all the individuals here you believe in the core but I think a lot of changes could be coming this offseason. Uh, still a lot of work to do on this roster. I think that's uh, the obvious part of it. Um, and when you have more of a structure, when you understand the roles you're looking for and, and what you need to upgrade, can make it a lot easier to identify the players that can fill those holes for you. But you know, when you have... Guys scoring a ton, but the team not having success. You're losing games six five, six four, whatever it was earlier mm-hmm. this year. You know, it's it's hard to really make judgments on players because guys might have good numbers, but you know, in the overall, they're not really playing all that well. And I think that's been a bit of a problem, and they also become more expensive because yeah, they're performing well by the numbers that get you paid in this league. And I think what you look at here, like if, for instance, w- with the PDG and with the breeze ball, I think the, the best case scenario here is that one of those guys hits. Yeah. That you're like, hey, PDG is going to play here for two more years and he's an everyday fourth liner, can play up and down your lineup, can play on the PK, brings a little bit of grittiness, has a baseline. Like to me, the, that's the best case scenario. This now guy you know can play F1 on one of your lines. Yeah. If, if he yeah. can, you know, come into training camp next season. And Breezebois, same thing, but mm-hmm. on the back end. Because if he can actually get better and be a player, now all of a sudden you have a guy who's playing in your third pair, potentially, and he's making league minimum for two years. Yeah, that's You're going to have to have a few guys come in and play at league minimum numbers and provide something, right? That's why Niels Olman this year is encouraging. Can he come in next year and play even better? And then now at a guy making 880K, you're getting something. Dakota Joshua gets better next year making 850K. Like they're going to have to get those improvements happening in the bottom of their roster. And they're going to have to find more cheap guys so they can be successful by making those bigger additions. Because to your point, you can't be paying everybody big money. If yeah. you do that, I mean, it's just not going to work. Yep. So who are they going to be? Who are the guys going to be that come up cheaply and provide big roles for you? We've seen that with Dakota Joshua to some degree, and it's been positive. We'll see if Breezeball can do that as well on the back end. Well, and you're not going to have as many value deals because Kuzmenko's getting paid uh, $5.5 million next year. He's not the bargain basement value that he's given you this year. Uh, Hughes, or sorry, um, Patterson and Hronick are going to get extensions in the near term as well. So next year they are at a surplus value, but... How much longer? You know, Pedersen's probably going to bring surplus value for a very long time. But, yeah. you know, if you sort of just project Hronick as a $7.5 million defenseman or what the, the type of value he's maybe provided so yeah. far this year, you know, he's probably getting around 6.5 or 7 on his next contract. We'll see. I, I, I'm very skeptical about the $7 million plus number for uh, Philip Hronick. Yeah. Now, we'll see what happens, and now it also depends on the year he has. I think that one's going to be, to me, the most fascinating contract because if he indeed does end up getting $7 million plus, he can still be very good, of course, right? Yeah. But it's going to be hard to get significant surplus value, and I'd still sign that contract and keep him if he gives you $7 million worth of play. I mean, that's terrific, right? Yeah. But that's my point is you're, you're running out of spots on the roster where you're getting surplus value right. players. And that's why if they can get him signed to a longer term deal, perhaps now and bet on it early, cheaper, yeah. is that a way for you to get surplus value? Like 
one of the things you're going to have to do too is make bets on somebody mm-hmm. or, or on, on certain players and then hope that the player you're making a bet on early with a contract is going to provide you that huge value. You can't be wrong because you add more bad money to the books, but that's going to be another pathway to get a player to perform far greater than the number he's getting paid. Uh, Tones, they still trade Besser and Myers and use that money to get another top four D. Uh, another text coming in from Pricer, not saying Sat is Stu Jackson, just saying this sure sounds like losing is learning tick. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Like, I don't think losing normally is. I just think, given how this, like, it's it's absurd how this team played hockey, guys. You know, like, we're not sick of so talking about a team just, you know, making simple mistakes. Like, it, it's absolutely absurd. And it was the same mistakes every single night. Line changes. Yeah. Line changes. <laughs> uh, sorry to bring that back into everybody's uh, mindset here on this Monday, but we'll move on. Frank Saravalli is going to join us. Uh, his take on what's going on with the GM meetings and more on Sportsnet 650. Canuck Central in the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Lots still to get to, including our next guest. It is Frank Saravalli of the Daily Faceoff. Uh, Frank, what's happened? I'm not sure what to talk about without any like uh, pending <laughs> trades uh, within the you Canucks. You and me line. both. It's kind of <laughs> this is this is the way it's supposed to work. We call this mail it in March, and uh, just kind of floating through, hoping that no one notices until playoffs, and then pretty soon it'll be top 50 UFA time and oh, yeah. draft and. It's firing back up again soon. Don't worry. Yeah, that Board of Governors meeting came up clutch hay this week. Yeah, the GM meetings. Yeah, <laughs> honestly, I didn't make it there. Uh, I had some flight issues yesterday, and I just I ended up pulling the pin on the trip, and uh, I, I would trade uh, being home for being in Florida, but um, I don't know. Such is life. <laughs> it's really just the GMs wanting to get some sunshine in the middle of the hockey season, right? Well, there's not... The, the amazing part is that there's always things on the agenda, but it never ceases to amaze me how there's a lot of talk and, and typically very little action. So it's, so, uh, it's, it's very interesting the way that it's timed uh, everyone heading to Florida the week after the deadline. But you know what I've been advocating for, guys? What's that? Is to actually do this meeting a couple weeks before the deadline to get all the GMs in the same room to increase the conversations and chatter. Yeah, that would, at least uh, from a logistics uh, sort of uh, thought process, that would make a lot of sense. You know, get some deals done. It's always a little bit easier when you're face-to-face, but... Yeah, uh, you have, you throw in a couple cocktails, and (laughs) who knows, all of a sudden, like, three-quarters of your team are tradable. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty soon, somebody's trading the first overall pick next year. It's great. Um, So... We've really enjoyed Andre Kuzmenko here this year. I mean, mm-hmm. the fan base has just absolutely loved him. There was uh, some video of uh, a massive line at a uh, autograph session he was holding yesterday here in, in Vancouver. Um, the Canucks have sort of hit the, uh, the the KHL free agent lottery with this player. And um, just curious on your take of, of how the rest of the league views this player now. And, you know, just is... Like, have people decided this is a superstar or is this guy that's just having an incredible year? 
So I would say the thought process is that Kuzmenko is a star in the making and, and not quite superstar level, but certainly with each passing game, like I think the big question that everyone's had is, you know, sort of after the start of the year was like, is this for real? And then the more you see, the more his game continues to unfold, the more like little wrinkles and details you notice, uh, the consistency with which he's performed, like there really haven't been any significant dips or or there hasn't been a roller coaster effect to be concerned with in a season that I think, you know, you begin to see that this, you know, this is real. And for the Canucks, look, if since their plan is to retool and to do it on the fly, having Kuzmenko, if he continues to produce even close to this level at 5.5 million for the next two seasons is a home run. You know, you see what your team is like, you see how competitive they are. And maybe in that second year, if things aren't going well, you find a way to flip him and get a decent return. You could even see that next year, given the extra year on his contract, he's a highly tradable asset Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, I, I just to to come through the other side of last summer and, you know, the unknowns, like there's a lot of, there's always a lot of teams jockeying for a free player. You never really know what you're going to get, but for him to be the real deal, uh, it's certainly been, it's a rarity and it's, it's been special to watch. Well, in terms of just asset value, right? And I'm not even suggesting, like you mentioned, I mean, hey, if things go sideways next year, perhaps, you know, things are, are back on the table again. But it's very clear this organization likes Kuzmenko. They believe in Kuzmenko. And there's already discussions that perhaps they, they do a long-term extension next year if things go well, because they can do that at the conclusion of next season if they really wanted to. So so if you see if it gets to that point. But there's been obviously discussions about should the Vancouver Canucks have traded him at the trade deadline and what type of value would he have had? There is a world where his value is higher next year, isn't it? If he, if he can replicate what he's doing right now. Oh, I think it's way higher next year if he can replicate, because the truth is no matter what happened this year, you kind of had to play the full 82 game string Mm -hmm. or close enough to really make believers out of everyone. And there was, you know, there's some thought and some curiosity and and some intrigue for sure. And certainly someone would have taken a chance. But I don't think you were dealing with a mega haul of a return for the player, given that sort of uncertainty that comes with it. And now, once you go out and prove it and then do it again at the start of next season, then all of a sudden that becomes a, a real deal thing. Yeah, and it's uh, it always helps when you got somebody that's like uh, easy to sell to to your fan base and is probably going to sell a lot of jerseys because they're a dynamic offensive players. Uh, I'm sure a lot of owners around you need the league, that. yeah, owners love those guys. I'm sure. <laughs> well, especially when they're free ninety nine. Yeah, like you you get this guy and you don't. You're, it's not a draft pick. It's not um, you know a player that you had to spend assets for. And the fact that it was almost no risk at nine hundred and fifty thousand bucks. And yeah, he's going to hit some performance bonuses. And um, I think that's actually of some um, interest in the sense that they'd really like one of the big issues kind of of closing out this year is you, you want to try and avoid some of those performance bonuses that carry over to next year, which seems like at least from a cursory glance, it's going to be really hard for the Canucks to do. Other than that, this is a free asset that the Canucks mind. And you know what? Full credit on that goes to Patrick Alvine because I was told 
even before he got the job, knowing that he was a finalist for it, he was all over Kuzmenko's agent saying, hey, I might be heading to Vancouver. Got to get this guy. Need him. And it was one of the first messages he sent on the day that he actually got the job before it was even officially announced that you know he wanted and had his eye on this player. So we, we were talking about Alvin and, and the job that he's doing and, you know, sort of where he's making his bets. It's all based on, on the scouting part of it. Um, and if he can come through on those, you know, the scouting mission, this team is going to be fine. Yeah. And uh, we've seen their, their uh, player identification has been pretty good, at least at the pro level. Even guys like Dakota Joshua has had a really promising year for what they paid him uh, in last summer's free agency. Now, I, I want to get Villier your... seems to be a good target yeah. to this point. Like go through the list. Like it seems again, small sample size, but it seems like the hits have been more than misses. I want to um, get your take on, on Rick Tockett so far. And and the Canucks are playing a much more structured game. They're winning more, uh, which, which always helps to get that validation. But um, I, I guess that, you're on team tank. <laughs> yes. There are many that are not loving the wins. We'll say that, but it, I think there's a, a comp that some people are looking back at uh, when Daryl Sutter took over the Flames a couple of years ago and he started to put the building blocks in place and the Flames went on to have a great year. Now, I'm not saying that's happening here in Vancouver necessarily. There still is a lot of decisions they're going to have to make with the roster in the summer. We know that. But is that do you get the sense that Tockett is sort of already setting the foundation for uh, for the Vancouver Canucks? I do, and that's sort of, I think if you're looking for motivation, if you're the Canucks front office to making the change when they did, that's it, is that you can hit the ground running, begin to, you know, even though the roster is going to be different next year, get people in the proper comfort zone, set the proper expectations and guardrails of what is and isn't acceptable. And I think the hardest thing was getting people feeling good again. That was a big reason why Bruce Boudreau was successful, you know, last season till the end of it was he just sort of wiped the slate clean. And there was so much angst, so much um, frustration, I think, built up within the Canucks player core. Everyone looking over their shoulder, wondering what was happening next, what's going on with this coach. Um, you know, that was all a big part of it that in a lot of ways, it was an unenviable position for Rick Tockett to walk into. So, you know, objective one, get everyone feeling good again. Seems like he's accomplished that. Objective two, put that structure in place, which certainly you've seen. And he's a, like, I told you guys before, I've spent a lot of time around Rick Tockett. Like he's a really easy guy to like, a genuine person and human being that I think is easy to connect to. And there's no part of what he does that's sort of overcomplicated or <clears throat> is going to make your brain explode. And I think that's a real easy way to get through to players in that are there similarities that exist between what the Calgary Flames installed under Daryl Sutter, which I think actually even came later in the year than, than Rick Tockett coming on? Yes. But there's so many things that would have to go right roster construction wise i think in order to take this team as currently constituted and turn them into a pacific division champion like the flames were in their sort of next iteration under daryl sutter so there's a lot of work to do and 
so much of it, I feel like revolves around the cap. Like the fact that we are now heading into the next off season for this team Mm -hmm. and there's been no additional cap flexibility created that I, I think to me, like that's the most alarming part. They're basically at the cap or just over it with six players still left to sign roster wise. And they don't, they haven't created it. So to think that teams aren't going to hold you over a barrel this summer, knowing that you're in a tough spot, like that's the really hard part. It's easier to create that wiggle room and flexibility ahead of time. If you can do it, the problem is the Canucks, you know, obviously didn't want to pay the price to do so. Well, yeah, and that's the thing. And their calculation, at least based on what, what Alvin has said, is he believes that once they get into the offseason, they have options with their players based on discussions. And, and and for their sake, I hope they're right and they're able to clear that cap space, like you mentioned, because that's what they need to do. But in, in terms of what you also mentioned earlier, that Alvin has been very aggressive since even before he was named GM, you know, hunting down Kuzmenko. He's made a number of trades as a Vancouver Canucks GM as well. I mean, they made nine trades this year, a number of them even moved Bull Horvat. And it was interesting hearing uh, from Don Waddell, who said that Alvin was looking for the highest draft pick and got it for Bull Horvat and got credit from him. What What do you think the sense is around the league about Alvin? Is he being known as a guy you can make deals with, a deal maker, a guy you can work with, who can get stuff done? Or is there some skepticism around him? No, I don't think there's any skepticism at all. I think he's actually... Um, from the managers that I've talked to, developed a reputation as being a straight shooter, Mm -hmm. someone that is open to a lot of different things. It's just that a lot of it didn't come to fruition. And look, you don't get any points for that. It's, you know, there's no excuse of, well, it's so hard to make trades in this league or the salary cap is flat or whatever it is that you constantly hear. And I'm not saying that it's Patrick Alvin saying that, but you hear it all the time, how hard it is to make trades. Like, it doesn't stop the people who are truly motivated from getting stuff done. Um, but what I, I think really intrigued a lot of teams was just that he said, tell me who you like. Like, it's almost like there's this, we've talked about this before. There's this dance. There's this fear mm. factor that exists with managers dealing with a people they don't know. And B they don't want to work themselves into a spot where they feel like they're losing leverage. So I'll give you an example. There's, there's a, a thought process out there among NHL general managers, as silly as this sounds, that's like you can't call another team and tell them that you're interested in a player because then all of a sudden you lose leverage. Yeah. Like the team's like, oh, we know that you like this player and you know we're gonna, it's going to cost you more now to get him. It's like elementary school or whatever. You, you can't tell the girl you like that you like her because then she won't like you. You know, like it's, it's one of those things. What or yeah, whatever analogy you want to draw, like going into the car dealership and asking to test drive a car that suddenly it's going to cost more. Like yeah. that's not how it works. Uh, but but that's the that and and a lot of GMs really deal in small circles of people that they know. So it takes a while to work yourself into that conversation. And this is actually, I think, an, another critical week for Patrick Alvin to at the GM meetings in Florida to begin to you know cultivate more of those relationships the ones that he's already got but the people that he doesn't know as well so that you know he can you know begin to broach some of those subjects but he made the calls trust me um i would hear from people all the time hey you know the message from the canucks is we're open for business whoever you like let us know and and let's talk about it because it's not just one path that he sees moving forward there's a number of different ways to get there And I think they're open to a lot of different things that just, I think some groundwork was laid with obviously a lot more to come this summer. 
Frank Saravalli, our guest. Um, so the Philadelphia Flyers make the change in their front office, Daniel Briere as interim. But uh, is Daniel Briere like interim, but not really interim? It feels yeah, like wink, it's his wink. job to lose. The wink, wink, sham interview process <laughs> yeah. that's about to unfold. Yeah, that's that's exactly what's happening here. This is Danny Briere's job to lose. I'd be very surprised if in the end, whether it's two weeks from now or two months from now, that the Flyers don't end up naming him GM, where the intrigue is, is who's going to be his boss, so to speak, as the next president of hockey operations as they take this one all-encompassing job that Chuck Fletcher had and split it into two different parts. So I think there's always a risk in doing that. The one benefit is that for a team that's corporately run by a uh, a major you know telecom business in Comcast to really take some of the corporate heat off of the general manager so that they can just focus on building their hockey team. And that was one issue that I think Chuck Fletcher was kind of continually run aground with was just the sheer workload and responsibility. And again, not an excuse, but that's a different hierarchy and system than just about any other team in the league has. There's so few teams in that category. But the risk in that, while it's great to take that off his plate, is that if there is another decision maker involved who holds the hammer and final say, how does that relationship between general manager and president of hockey ops unfold? That's going to be a critical thing moving forward. And I would say this, to bring it back to Vancouver, and I've raised this question with you guys before, the Flyers and Canucks are almost in identical spots. The difference is the Canucks... I think have a significantly better base with which to start mm-hmm. in Pedersen, Hughes, and Demko. And you could add in Kuzmenko and whoever else you feel like is part of that core. The Flyers really have Carter Hart. Depends on what you think of Ivan Provorov, who's who's not on the same level to me as Quinn Hughes. And Cutter Gauthier is their top prospect up front. That's it. Otherwise, you're dealing with two very proud franchises who want to win, who have fan bases that are hungry to win, that major swaths and sections of their fan base are both calling for a complete tear-it-down rebuild. And so where this team heads from here, you know, I think the Flyers are in the unenviable position of, you know, with the sort of lack of, of tools that they have at their disposal, and I don't mean money, they have that and they they have limitless resources in some ways, but the lack of prospects, the lack of cap space, the onerous contracts, and the the you know the sort of environment that's sort of been toxically created in that marketplace, their situations aren't all that dissimilar. Well, I was I was thinking about this, you know, like what do they have of real value to to move and and kickstart? A, a rebuild I guess Carter Hart but you know we've had this conversation with Demko it's hard to really pinpoint what goalies are worth you don't get the return uh, yeah. for him that you that makes it worthwhile uh-huh. I would say Kevin Hayes is like he's their best trade chip and it involves eating two and a half million bucks yeah because outside Scott of- Lawton you could get something for but yeah. again he's got some term like there's not Rasmus Ristolainen's contract is an absolute disaster. You could trade Tony D'Angelo, I think, and get something pretty decent for him. Even Same Sanheim, like I, I like Sanheim, but he's he's had a really tough year. But you know, before he signed his extension, he would have had oh. uh, great trade value around the league. But eight years, like who's yeah. signing up for that? Yeah, that's a tough one. That's that's why it's like there's no 
easy picture for for Daniel Briere to take here on like how he goes about creating a, a rebuild for the Philadelphia Flyers other than you know you're kind of almost in San Jose territory where you just got to take your lumps and, and not be very good for a couple of years while some of these contracts uh, start to expire that's just that's not what the Flyers do it's yeah. it's not really what the Canucks do either they kind of do anything they can to wiggle out of it and kick the can down the road and you you guys saw that with the summer with the Ekman Larson trade like it would have been so easy to kind of wait out one more year of pain and really finally have the flexibility, but they couldn't resist pushing the button. No, they they couldn't. Right now, before I let you go, I'd also want. I mean, I know the uh, you weren't at the GM meetings, and they didn't really discuss the salary cap. Is is that the big elephant in a room that we're waiting to have a discussion about here on the national, like at a greater scale than we have from the league? Yes, but I don't anticipate any sort of meaningful update in the sense that this is going to play itself out at the very last minute. We always hear about the cap coming out of the June GM meetings right at the draft, and I'd expect that to be the case this year, especially because the new executive director of the NHLPA, Marty Walsh, hasn't even been formally installed. I don't think he's had his official start date yet, and this is going to be a negotiation. There's too many there's too many owners i believe that are going to put heat on the nhl and commissioner gary bettman to really get this cap moving especially since he's acknowledged publicly that the debt that's owed from players to owners is going to be whittled down to basically nothing it's going to be 95 to 95 7% of the way paid off and will be paid off really early next season if they don't get the ball moving forward that a fourth straight season of a frozen or flat salary cap makes no sense for the league uh it makes no sense for teams and it also makes no sense for players the thing is you guys know this it always comes down to leverage and Mm -hmm. you know you're not going to see a signal from gary bettman this week that he's interested in negotiating i don't think he's going to make this into a hardball type situation i think with the nhlpa even though on his end, he may be losing some of the leverage that he has. Uh, final one for you before we let you go. Uh, one of our listeners, Tones, wants to know, uh, have you done all your IV, IV bag therapy? <laughs> I, You know what? Uh, my wife, she sort of chided me, like, why are you being so dramatic? <laughs> the day after the deadline, uh, didn't go on a, on a bender in the hours after it, but went the next day. I've got a little place around the corner from me that does like the – the hydrotherapy and got a went and got a couple bags of vitamins and just I, I just feel like you never feel quite as good as when you get a couple bags in you and um it was just it was the best trade deadline recovery i could think of after a hellacious six weeks uh amazing uh well we'll talk soon frank thanks for this thanks guys have a good week uh there he is frank cerevalli joining us here on uh, canuck central yeah i mean to me the salary cap thing because you hear whispers and rumblings, despite the fact that the Sinclair broadcast thing is going down, that that's not going to necessarily impact the salary cap significantly this year. That's kind of the sense, yep. you know. So there are some that actually believe the cap's going to go up next year, mm-hmm. like quietly. They actually believe it's going to go up a couple million. I am not suggesting that more than just the like one million. Yes, like there's a sense that it, you know some believe this. Now I know Frank's mentioned this too. You talk to people, some believe this, some say no, it's not going to happen. And I'm not saying the Canucks are made their moves because they assume the cap's going to go up next season. Like, I don't think that's it. But how much does that change what Vancouver can do if the salary cap, say, say goes up $2 million instead of 
you know, or three million instead of a million. Yeah. So an extra two million from where the current projection is at. Yeah. All of a sudden, what, what we're talking about is the Canucks would right now have to have two million in cap space, which would give them enough space to almost fill out their roster. You, you can bring Bear back with that, for yeah. instance. Which is not huge, but again, like it's it's one two million dollar salary player you can get done a little quicker. Uh, it is, uh, as you say, the elephant in the room for the NHL. Now, I don't think that's the elephant that Rick Tockett is eating or taking <laughs> bites out of, but it's no. it's one of the elephants. Yes, it's, it's one of the many elephants the NHL has to deal with. Dan Richo, Satyar Shah, coming up. Aiden McDonough signed a new contract with the Vancouver Canucks. He'll join us next on Canuck Central.